Well, if you have a Bible, why don't you uh, grab it right now? And we're going to be opening up to 1 Peter, starting in chapter 2. 1 Peter 2. Uh, we've been in a series in the last few months in the book of 1 Peter. And we're going to be looking at 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 today. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Okay? You guys hear me harp on this a lot, but I want to just do it again. Some of you, this will be new for you. Some of you, it won't, but be reminded again. Whenever we read the Bible, we always read the Bible in context. Uh, I like the slogan that one uh, mentor of mine has said, never read a single Bible verse. Never read a single Bible verse. And what he means is, Always read your Bible in context. If you got a letter from your grandma and it said that I'm exploding with joy right now, and that was the, that was the sentence, and you just read that sentence, void of context, you'd be like, uh, what does this mean? Grandma, I'm excited that you're exploding with joy, but I'd love to know what that's all about. How do you know what that's all about? You never read that just one sentence in the letter. You read the whole letter, right? For you to know why grandma is exploding with joy. Do you have any grandmas exploding with joy here today? Yes, that's good. That's good to hear. And um, we do the same thing with the Bible. Because why? Well, easily to see, this is a letter. Peter is writing a letter, he tells us, to churches in Pontus, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are real places in real space, time, and history. So we never just read a Bible verse singularly. We always read it in context, okay? Okay. So let's talk about context for a second, because what we're going to dive into today is predicated on a knowledge of the context for it to be profound. So the first thing I want you to see is verse 1. Look at just verse 1, right off the bat. How does Peter identify these people? Who are these people, right? Good question. Who are, if I'm going to understand this book, I've got to know who these people are. Well, here's who they are. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are, so who are they? This is who they are. They're elect exiles. See that there? To those who are elect exiles. So that's the context of this first letter. He's writing to people who feel like exiles. So what's an exile? An exile is someone who's not at home. An exile is someone who feels out of place. An exile is someone who maybe has been forced to move from one place to another and this new place is really strange. It's very foreign. That's the audience of Peter's first letter here. The audience is exiles. And they're out of place. Maybe there's some debate here. Maybe it's truly a geographic feeling of being out of place. But for sure, it's a spiritual feeling out of place. Meaning the dominant culture where they live does not understand their Christian faith. And they think that they're pretty weird, okay? And they know that they feel weird, right? They're very aware of their weirdness in this surrounding culture. You with me? This landed on me freshly um, just in our trip to North Africa. And I was talking to our point person there, the team leader there. You know, they live in the city, 400,000 people, one known indigenous believer, no gospel witness except for them. Um, no church except for them. And he was telling me how, and there's so many times that he just feels so radically out of place. 
just confused. Like the way that this culture works is not what I'm used to. I was raised in the States, and the way they do things over here is very, very different. There's, there's a language barrier, and sometimes I'm talking to someone, I'm like, am I not getting this because it's a cultural disconnect, or is it a language disconnect? And there's all these interpersonal communication things that are just different. And it just feels so out of place so often is one of the things that they wrestle with. You know, they're exiles in a foreign land. And this experience of being in exile, of being radically different and out of place, of constantly facing situations that, that confront you with the reality that I'm not at home here, and, and confused by so much that goes down, can be very disorienting. It can be very challenging. It can cause our team there to, to just wonder, like, now, now what, am, what are we doing here again? Like, who am I again? Like, what I thought I was raised in was normal, but maybe it's not. My beliefs I thought were normal. Well, look at all these people. They don't believe anything that I believe. Like, who am I and why do I believe the things I believe? What am I doing here? Are my beliefs correct? Like, it can really mess with your head. And Peter's writing to an audience that probably felt like this very often. The Christian faith made them stand out. We've seen that, and we're going to continue to see that as we progress through the book of 1 Peter. Their Christian faith makes them very different compared to the surrounding culture. And this can have a disorienting experience, a disorienting effect. Like, how come we don't act like everybody else in the culture again? Like, they're looking at us like we're weird. Are we weird? Um, like, it's really hard being different. Is it, is it really worth it? Are my beliefs really worth it? Like, who am I again? Like, maybe you can relate to this. Maybe, maybe you had a, a really hard Thanksgiving with your immediate family, and you just feel out of place. Like, this is biology, but, man, I'm just out of place here. And I'm just different. And, like, is it me? Is it them? Like, I, I, don't, I don't get it. And maybe at work, you know, you're just clearly, your values are very different than the, the values that you hear talked about in the workplace. And it's like, why do I have these values again? Like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm off here. Like, who am I here? Like, this is crazy. Can you relate to that? I know some of you can. And Peter's writing to people that feel that way. And he writes our verses for today with a very distinct purpose. And the purpose is this. I want you to know who you are so you can know what you're supposed to do. And this should be very comforting to you. This reminder should be very comforting to you. And that's where our text lands on us. All right, let's, let's read it, okay? 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. That's the context, okay? That's the context. And so he comes into that context and he says this. But you... You are a chosen race. You're, you're a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This is who you are. You're not defined by the cultural disconnects. This is what defines you. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, there's, there's, there's um, maybe a surface level here, and there's a, there's a much more profound level here going on. And now, you could read this and just go, those are nice words, and they are. Those are nice comforting statements, and they are. But there's more going on here that, that Peter's doing for this first audience and for us 2,000 years later that we really need to seek to unpack, that we really need to press down into, okay? The language that he uses, like a people, go back to verse 9 there, Chris, um, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, those are not coincidental words. That's very important for us to understand because his initial audience would have understood this. And so what we have to do is go back and understand where does this language come from? And where it comes from is the Old Testament. Peter is drawing on massive Old Testament themes as he speaks the New Testament to these people. Okay? So for, for us to understand 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, we have to basically understand the storyline of the Old Testament. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to review that. And I'm going to go fast. Some of you, this is going to be brand new. and It'll be really helpful for you to understand what's the Old Testament all about. And for some of you, this is going to be review, okay? So, like, hang with me. This is going to come full circle, okay? And it's going to shine a huge light on this text. But, but lean in. See if you can hang with me. I'm just going to have to teach you this, okay? All right, so, so check it out. Here's a story, in essence. Uh, there's much more to say, but here's one way to boil it down. The world's a mess. Sinful people, arrogant, wicked, selfish. And that's the context of the whole world. And instead of just judging these people and just smiting them and just like wiping them off the face of the earth, he comes to this guy, God comes to this guy named Abram. He says, Abram, guess what? I'm going to use you to solve this problem. I'm going to start with you, Abram. And I'm going to make out of you and all of your descendants that come from you a great nation of people, a family. And this great nation of people is going to have a place. It's going to be a special place. And you're going to have that place all to yourself. And in, as my people, in this special place, you're going to have my special presence. It's going to be unique compared to all the other nations in the world. And as my people, in a special place, with my God special presence, I'm going to give you a really unique, proactive mission. People in a place with God's presence having a proactive mission. He came to Abram and said, I'm going to do all of this through you. And Abram's like, well, that sounds good, but here's a problem. Uh, my wife's too old to have kids. And, and, and God says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Nope. And so speed up. The Lord does a miracle. And Abram and Sarah, they have a, they have a baby. And his name is Isaac. And Isaac has a bunch of challenges and a bunch of drama that we'll read about in the, in the book of Genesis. And he, it's hard for him to find a wife. Eventually he finds a wife. And they have kids. And, and the kid that, that, that is ordained to carry on this plan, his name is Jacob. So we got Abraham, we got Isaac, and we got Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. And one of those sons of the 12, his name was Joseph. And he was a bit of a hotshot when he was younger. And he knew he was kind of a big deal in the eyes of his father. And he liked to tell his other brothers how big of a deal he was in the eyes of his father. And so his brothers hated him. And their hatred boiled over at one point, and they were going to kill him. Well, they dialed it back a little bit. Instead of killing him, they sold him into slavery. 
And so Joseph, the, the, great, um, the great-grandson of Abram, is sold into slavery in Egypt. And so he goes down to Egypt, lots of details, lots of drama, but, but Joseph ascends to the second highest position of authority in the whole nation of Egypt. And during that time, there was a famine in the land of his brothers. So all of his brothers end up going down to Egypt to get food, because they had food in Egypt where Joseph, their brother, was the ruler. Lots of drama, lots of details, lots of stories. But they come to Joseph, and they say, we need food. And Joseph reveals himself, and, and they, they're reconciled. And Joseph invites them all to stay down in Egypt, and they do. So all of Abram's people, all of Abram's descendants that, that had all these promises, they moved down to Egypt. And they decide to stay. And God told them to be fruitful and multiply, and they did. And so this, this, this family, Jacob's 12 sons, descended from Abram, they start having babies, and more and more babies. And this family becomes bigger and bigger, year after year after year, more and more people. They become the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel is like a distinct nation living in Egypt. And so if Egypt's ruler, Pharaoh, sees this, that this massive nation is, is emerging in the midst of his nation, what's he going to do? Well, he's going to feel threatened. And that's what happens. Pharaoh feels very, very threatened about all of Abraham's descendants living in his country. And what does he do? He enslaves them. He enslaves them for 400 years. And they cry out to God, and God listens. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to raise up this guy named Moses. And Moses is going to speak truth to power. And he's going to roll up on Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no way. And Moses comes and says, let my people go. And, so, and Pharaoh says, you're crazy. And he comes one more time and says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no way. And so God does what he does. He judges Pharaoh for his wickedness. And finally, Pharaoh relents. But then he kind of changes his mind and wants to get the people back. And so they're tracking the people down as they're leaving. And you guys, have, most of you probably heard about the massive miracle that God does as he parts the Red Sea. And God's people go through, and Pharaoh's people are judged, and they're all killed for their wickedness. And God's people, his chosen people, go on. And that's the massive event of the Old Testament, the redemption of God's people. as God's enemies are judged, and God's people go free, free from slavery. And so what now? Well, that's great. They're free from slavery. They're a people now, and they're free but they don't have a place yet. So what are we going to do? Well, they're, they're, they're passed through the Red Sea, and now they're together, and they're just wandering in the wilderness. And they're kind of disoriented. The wilderness is disorienting. Like, who are we? What are we going to do? I think I've heard some promises from way back to Abraham, but I don't see how that's going to happen here in this wilderness. Like, what, what are we doing? Is essentially the question And so God comes to them, and he speaks. And I want you to turn there, because this is really big. I want you to see the words on the page. Exodus 19. God speaks to the situation of his people struggling to know who they are in the wilderness. Look at Exodus 19. It's the second book in the Bible, 19th chapter, starting in verse 3. Exodus 19.3. So while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him 
out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob. That's just another way of saying God's people, the, the descendants of Abram. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, same people, just another way to say it. Verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So I want you to see what's happening here. These people, they've been rescued by God dramatically, but they don't know who they are. And God's plan to make them very unique in the world, a special people with a special plan, they don't see how that's going to be accomplished. So God comes and he speaks to them. He reminds them of their salvation. You saw how I saved you, so you know that you are a saved people. And in light of the fact that you are a saved people, see that verse 4? You saw what I did to the Egyptians. Now, therefore, I will, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, so here's what I want. I want you to have ears to hear. I want you to have a soft heart. I want you to listen by faith and trust me. Trust my word. Hear my voice. Obey my voice. Keep my covenant. Listen to my words. If you do that, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be my treasured people. You'll have an identity as a treasured people. This is who you are, treasured. For all the earth is mine. I can do whatever I want, he says. And you're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Holy means to be set apart, to be special. You're going to be special unto me, God says. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So you're going to be my special people set apart, not so you can have a big head, but so that you can have a mission. And what's the mission? The mission is a little mysterious, but it's found in that phrase, kingdom of priests. God's people are going to have a proactive mission to be a kingdom of priests. Well, what's a priest? What does a priest do? A priest is an intermediary. A priest is an advocate. A priest is a people that re- represents one group to another. A, a go-between. Simply stated, priests are people who stand between God and humans to help humans come closer to God. Priests are are those who stand between God and humans to help humans come closer to God. So God's goal for his special Old Testament people, the nation of Israel, was to be an example to all the other onlooking nations and that they would stand out and display the shalom and the peace of God, the beauty of a nation where, where, where God rules and reigns. Show the blessing, show the peace, show the love. So what God's doing here in Exodus 19 is securing their identity. This is who you are. You shouldn't be confused. You shouldn't be disoriented. This is who you are. You're my people. And he's not just securing their identity, he's securing their mission. This is what I want you to do. You're called to be a kingdom of priests. Facilitate the relationship between me and the rest of the whole world. That's the vision of the Old Testament. That's it, right there. Here's the problem. They completely failed at all of this. 
they completely failed. They didn't listen to his voice. They didn't keep his covenant. Over and over again, the prophets call out to these people and say, repent, turn from your idolatry. Turn from all these false gods that you, that you worship and return to the living God. Return to the covenant. Return to the plan. And that's, that's the story of the Old Testament. All the promises of God and the failure of God's people to listen and obey and repent when they failed. That's it. And so if that was the end of our Bible, that would be depressing. But thanks be to God, there's a New Testament. And God still has a plan for Jewish people. But there was only one faithful Jewish person. His name was Jesus. One faithful priest. The book of Hebrews calls him the great high priest, the ultimate go-between, the ultimate advocate, the ultimate mediator. And he was born a Jew from the line of Abraham. See Matthew 1.1, the very first verse in the New Testament. It's clear Jesus comes from Abraham. He's a true Jew. And he didn't just keep the covenant. He ushered in a brand new covenant. And that new covenant centers all on him. And if you trust his word in this new covenant that he established, you will be saved. What is this new covenant? It's this. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Repent of your sin and trust the sacrifice of Jesus in your place to bear your sin and penalty. Come to Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice. It's no longer bulls and sheep and and, and animals and goats. It's Jesus is the true and final sacrifice given for you in your place so that you don't have to bear the wrath of God. God will bear it himself in Jesus as the final sacrifice. And all of this forgiveness and adoption and inheritance and justification and glorification and all these beautiful things will be yours if you just simply come to Jesus. So the Old Testament is all about God's special people being a light to the rest of the world through how they trusted God. And the New Testament is all about God's one special person, the true Jew, Jesus, being the center of a new special people, the church that will shine a light to the whole world. That's why Jesus comes to his first followers and says, you are the light of the world. You are the city on a hill. That used to be Old Testament people of God. They were called, Isaiah says, be a light to the Gentiles. And now in the New Testament, Jesus comes and says, if you're connected to me, I'm the light of the world, and my light's going to shine through you, church. And that's why I call you, the church, a city on a hill. You can't hide it. can't cover it up. It's got to shine. So in light of all of that, Okay? All of that as a backdrop. You see the profundity in our text for today? The continuation of the promise of God given to an Old Testament people, reinstated and recommissioned. How does this text land on you now? Look at the word choice. These words are not coincidental. Peter's doing something very intentional here. You're a chosen race, echoes of Exodus 19. You're a royal priesthood, 
echoes of Exodus 19. You're a holy nation, echoes of Exodus 19. A people for his own possession sounds like Exodus 19, doesn't it? Why? So that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. So what is Peter doing here? He's saying, know who you are. Know who you are. Jesus' people, the church, the plan of God did not terminate when Israel failed. The plan of God will not be thwarted. It will not be dismissed or diminished. The plan of God continues through the church. And who's the church? The church is anybody who comes to Jesus. So Jewish people, come to Jesus. You're included. You're not excluded. Muslim people, come to Jesus. You're not excluded. You're included. Secular humanist people, come to Jesus. You're not excluded. You're included. Everybody can be included into the church. A church of all nations can come and know that Jesus is Lord. That's what he, Peter's doing here. Look back at verse 1. He's saying, there's a church in Pontus. There's a church in Galatia. There's a church in Cappadocia. There's a church in Asia. There's a church in Bithynia. Come on. You're all welcome. You don't live in the geographic nation of Israel anymore. That's okay. Because it's not centered on geography anymore. Now it's centered on Jesus. Jesus is the new geography. You don't come to a, a, a nation with borders. You come to Jesus, and Jesus has no borders. It's worldwide now. Come to Jesus and then go, right? You carry on God's mission that was just like the Old Testament mission. The church now is my special person. You all together make up this special people. You, the church, are chosen, selected, holy, set apart as special. You're not autonomous, but you're, 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 you're possessed by God himself. You're, his spirit lives in you. And he is our good, good father. And as the church, we've got a special task. What's the task? Just like the Old Testament task. It hasn't changed. What does the word say? It says, a royal priesthood. What's a priest? A priest is a mediator. A priest is an advocate. A priest is a go-between. So the church's call is quite simply to help people draw close to God. We're the go-between. We help people grow close to God through the gospel, through this message. We are priests. We're go-betweens. This is who we are. It's never you individually. Like when you read this text, see the you there? That's not a you individual you. That's a y'all. I wish we lived in the South. Okay? That's a y'all. The northern people, we don't, we don't use y'all, but, but that can really be helpful in your Bible reading because this is a, that's, that's the sense of the you here. So it's not Zach I'm a chosen race. It's not Amy is a chosen race. No, it's us together. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. This is a, this is a verse about the church, okay? We don't read these verses individualistically at all. This is all about what the church is supposed to be. So, so what? Knowing that the church is chosen and set apart unto God in special possession and, and given a priestly mission directly from him. So what? So get on board, right? So get on board. This is the best game in town. I promise. There's nothing better that you could be associated with. Why? Because God is your creator. He knows you. 
And if he created you and knows exactly what's best for us, and he says this is who we are, man, let's live in light of it. Let's embrace it, right? So if you're a Christian, get on board. If you're not a Christian here today, you can still get on board. You can come to Jesus right now. You can repent of your sin and know that they're forgiven and trust in the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf so that you don't have to bear the wrath of God yourself. He can bear it for you because he loves you and given you a way to know forgiveness and, and reconciliation and justification and union with him and eternity with him. This is the best game in town. This is the best mission you can ever be a part of, right? This is the hand of God working through his spirit that resides in us for the blessing of the whole world. What greater thing could you be a part of? What greater thing could you be a part of? God still has an agenda for the offspring of Abraham to be a blessing to the whole world. Like you can connect Genesis 12 that I talked about 10 minutes ago to right here today. And, the, and it flows through 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You see that? It's no longer a geographic nation. Now it's church universal. On mission to see his glory known in every inch of creation. It's Christians in Bithynia. It's Christians in Cappadocia. It's Christians in China. It's Christians in, in, in Morocco. It's Christians in Ecuador. It's Christians in Sudan. So if you're a Christian, this is your identity. And so just know what you live in and dive in. Are you with me? Be all in. Go for it. Engage it. Reject passivity. Give yourself to who God says you are. This is who God says you are. Peter wanted these Christians in Bithynia and Galatia and Cappadocia to know it. He wants Christians in Madison to know it. That's why God has given us his word. And here's the deal. So, so let's make this even more practical. Um, if the vine is your church, let this verse just compel you to be like, man, I want to be all in on this. These huge cosmic realities, what a gift that we get to stand in those today and live in light of those today. This is God's word. It's, it's, we're not making this up. This is what he's called us to do. And if you're not sure about the vine, that's cool. That's okay. It doesn't have to be the vine. You just go to some church, be all in with a church that loves God, loves his mission, loves his word, and just dive in. It doesn't have to be the vine. We're not trying to build mega church, but we are trying to build Jesus followers that understand that you can't divorce following Jesus and his church. Okay? So dive in. Be all in, right? It doesn't have to be the vine, but if it is, man, let's go for it. In light of these huge missional identity statements, we can't ever view church as a hobby, okay? Peter's not trying to stir up just a better hobby for these people. If you view church as a hobby, man, get a different hobby. I mean, there's better ways to use your Sunday morning, I promise you. Like, go watch, watch uh, Sports Center or something. Like, like, there's better ways to use your Sunday, I promise. You can get a better hobby than church. But church is never meant to be a hobby. It's meant to be an identity of who I am associated with a people on a mission. And that's going to have ramifications and implications for everything that I do. Because I'm part of this family. And this family has a job. It's not an event to attend. It's a people to be joined with, like family, with something to do. So let me close with this. What's the something to do? What's the something to do? Well, Peter tells us. Look at verse 9. 
In light of your identity, you have a mission. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood church, a holy nation church. This is who you are, a people for his own possession. Why? Why is the church a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation? Why? Tells us. So that, keep reading, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I, we as a church are a chosen race. So we can get a big head and be like, wow, all these other people, they're kind of losers. Is that, is that why? That we're a special people? Man, I'm special. Yes, I'm special. It just terminates right there. Is that the point? No, what does it say? It says we got something to say. And the content of what we say is not selfish. Like, wow, look at how awesome we are because we're chosen and, and, and God you know, views us as his treasured possession. And, man, we're set apart as holy. No, that's all self-focused. God doesn't want us to be self-focused. So we don't talk about how awesome we are. That's not the point at all. We talk about how awesome he is. You see that? You are these things, verse 9, so that your identity informs your mission so that you may have something to say. Christian people are speaking people, proclaiming people. If you see anything about your identity, see that from the, word, from the verse. See the connections? You are a certain thing so that you can be a certain way. You are a chosen race so that you have something to say. You with me? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our mission. That's what we're called to do. Proclaim excellencies, right? The church can never function as a church unless we open our mouths. The church can be a lot of things, but if we fail to speak, if we fail to have things come out of our mouth, if we fail to articulate, we fail as a church. You can love people till you're blue in the face, and we do, and we have to. But if there's no words that accompany your acts of justice, that's not church. So we got something to say. What is it? Excellencies. So let me ask you this. What are the excellencies of God that just are springing out of your mouth? What are the excellencies of God that are on the tip of your tongue and that are on the forefront of your brain? Do you have some? Just think about it right now. Why is God excellent? Why is God beautiful? Why is God glorious? Say it. You know what I mean? Just say it. It doesn't matter about the response. It's, you're not in charge of the response. It doesn't matter uh, about, like, conversion or not. You can't control that. But what you can control is what you say. And according to Peter, based on who we are, we're going to have something to say. Maybe it's as simple as, man, did you see that sunset last night? Man, this God that I know is an amazing artist. And isn't it so cool he's not selfish with his art? And we see every day, like C.S. Lewis said, we see every day what we would pay a million dollars to see if we didn't have it. Creation. And God is so excellent as an artist. And you don't have to, like, explain it. You can just say it. Just let it sit there. And they might look at you weird. Who cares? Why do you care? 
Seriously, why do we care so much? It might be, man, my marriage was a disaster, or it is a disaster. And God has been so faithful to give me his word, and it's really helping adjust me toward repentance. And as I press into repentance and see my sin and confess that and ask for forgiveness, I'm seeing a marriage resurrection. God is so excellent to give me his word. It's, it's saving my marriage. You could say something like that and just let it sit there. It might look at you funny. Who cares? Uh, it might be like, man, I was, I was facing financial ruin. And, and, and God's people that I'm, that I'm connected to, they believe Acts 20, 35 that says it's more blessed to give than receive. And people have just come around us because they believe God's word. Man, our, our God is so excellent. It could be simply verse 10. Look at verse 10. Here's an excellency. You used to be someone who didn't have an identity. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you were someone who didn't receive mercy, man, I've received God's mercy in the gospel. Jesus Christ is a real person who came as God himself into this world, and he laid down his life so that, so that I and anybody else could know him, know God, know the, the river of living water, and drink deeply and be satisfied. Man, my God is excellent. It could be simply verse 10. What are you going to say? What are you going to say? What are God's excellencies that you've seen? Tell someone about it. That's the point. That's one way to boil down our mission as a church. Know who you are. Live in light of it. This is who you are, verse 9. Now we got something to say. Man, if we just do that, we'll be all right as a church, as a church family. Again, you're not responsible for response. You're just responsible to be faithful to speak. That's why the Vine Church orbits around this phrase. The Vine Church desires to be a spirit-filled family that seeks to make disciples and plant churches among neighbors and nations. And this is intentional. Through declaration. See 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. We got something to say. And in light of what we say, we're going to live a certain way. We're going to demonstrate that that's true. And we're going to repent when we fail. All right? This is who we are as a church. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? We need your help. It's very clear. Um, apart from you, we can do nothing. We can't do First Peter 2, 9 and 10 apart from your help. So we plead for your help. Um, we thank you that you've, you've given it. We thank you so much for so many people here that are... That are living in, in these ways. And I'm, I thank you for that, God. It's so encouraging to see so many people taking these verses so seriously. And may it continue. For those of us that, that struggle to believe, would you help our unbelief, Lord? Help our unbelief by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.